He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, October 8, 2022. Our troubadour, Dave Gunders, delivers his song, Talking in Tongues, which brings to mind people carried away by a spirit, possessed of language they did not know was in them. I think that's a reaction to stress and emotion. These are stressful times. Our democracy under attack, some brave people standing up. Ann Landman, she lives on the Western Slope. She's smart. She's dedicated to preserving democracy. She follows Tina Peters and events in Mesa County, Colorado, too. What a great guest she is. After our troubadour and before our troubadour, our featured guest, Colorado's 39th Attorney General, Phil Weiser. This man is smart. I mean, clerk at the Supreme Court smart. And he did that. And I think I know how to size up lawyers and the job of being a DA. I was a chief deputy, worked as a prosecutor for a decade and a half. And I know a lot of prosecutors who were elected to the job. And I've had the privilege of knowing many of Colorado's attorney generals. I worked with them because when I got big convictions, they needed to handle the appeal. But day to day, the job of enforcing the laws in your community, that belongs to the local DA, be it in Boulder, be it in Aurora or Denver, wherever. It's the local DA, the local law enforcement that 99% of the time will be the responding agency. All right? So that means DAs have more to do with crime in the community than the AG does. Now, a governor, well, a governor appoints judges. And if the judges are not tough sentencing judges, that will rub off and maybe crime will increase or decrease. But you need to know the job of the attorney general as you vote for either John Keltner, who's been invited to be on my show again. He's been on a couple times before, has not responded recently, but he's a welcome guest. Our sitting attorney general, the man who wants to be reelected, is Phil Weiser. I think he is a wonderful guest. Evaluate for yourself. Enjoy. Phil Weiser. It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and 
way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, instead of a knucklehead who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig. 303-734-7156. 303-734-7156. I am Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Craig, how are you, my friends? Mr. Attorney General, what an honor to have you back. <laughs> Welcome back to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. It's great to be there. You know, I always say the cinnamon rolls are the best here. Well, yes, that's uh, really owing to my beautiful wife, Trish. It's one of her specialties. And uh, thanks for mentioning them. So, well, yeah, I hear you running for uh, re-election. Is that true? Funny. Funny how that happens. You know, I was on the, the lawyer's lounge uh, when I was running for election. And here I am indeed. Time flies. And the name of my ad is four years later. And so we start with the premise that uh, I did what I said I was going to do. If you look back at what I said four years ago, look at what we've done. Um, we, we've been busy. Right. But we go back further than that because I made your acquaintance when you were the dean of the CU Law School, my alma mater. And you did a great job there. So I took notice of it. A lot of people did. So well, I, rem- I, remember, I remember meeting you because you have the distinction of being in the same law school class as Bill Ritter, who I believe you ran against for DA. I definitely did. And let me tell you, elections are hard. And we were only running in the city and county of Denver. But Bill Ritter is formidable. And we had quite a tussle. Even after he was at my wedding, what was it, almost 30 years ago, and I was at his wedding in Aurora to to Jeannie, we competed against each other. Now you're competing against John Kellner. How's that going? Has it gotten personal, vicious? Tell us about it. I don't get personal. Um, I often say you need to let any of the attacks roll off you and you need to find energy from the people who are you know, engaging with you, working with you on meaningful work. So I, I view campaigns as a chance to share my message. And I recognize there are going to be all sorts of different attacks, slings and arrows, I think was Shakespeare's phrase. So I'll, I'll let those roll off me. I, I have a message to get out about being the people's lawyer. As I mentioned, we've got an ad now on TV. And the basic point of the ad is I've been fighting for people, protecting people's rights, 
um, working hard on issues ranging from public safety to consumer protection to protecting our water, protecting our elections. There's a lot at stake in this job. And I recognize I've got a challenge to make sure that everyone knows what it means for me to be the people's lawyer. And I want to be able to keep doing it. Guys, we're drawing me back in time because I was kind of in the John Kellner position. I was to the right of Bill Ritter on most issues, but I ran as an unaffiliated candidate against a Democrat incumbent. And yet I would tell everybody, I've been thinking about your race, you cannot really conflate the job of a Denver DA with the Colorado AG. Both are huge jobs, as is the job that Kellner has now, 18th Judicial District, but your job is so much different. And I was trying to think about if I was going to draft the greatest attorney general, and this may be my selfish perspective as prosecutor in Denver for 16 years, when I convicted somebody, I wanted appellate lawyers at the AG's office who would protect that conviction and not screw up. And that's true on the civil side as well, because you vouchsafe the money. So first and foremost, don't you have to be a great appellate lawyer? Isn't that what you're looking for in an attorney general, someone who can get that job done? How high up does that rank? I had this debate four years ago with George Brockler when we were running. And I would say to George, George, we have a criminal justice section that does some prosecution of the types you're talking about. Most of our criminal prosecution, by the way, is, as you know, complex fraud cases, Medicaid fraud, financial fraud. But most of the work we do in our office, as you know, is appellate work, is regulatory work, is civil litigation. And so the job description to be attorney general is a very broad description. It's a very different job than district attorney. District attorney, you're prosecuting car thefts, you're prosecuting murders, you're prosecuting assaults. As attorney general, you're handling the appeals of all those. You're handling complex criminal cases like a crime ring that's um, trafficking fentanyl or human trafficking or a uh, ring of robberies of Asian businesses in northern Colorado. You're handling consumer protection cases from uh, CenturyLink to Wells Fargo to, you know, fly-by-net operators. You're handling water negotiations and water litigation. You're handling public health issues. So it's it's a great job because it covers so much ground. And that makes it a hard job to explain to people because you don't have just a simple, basic one dimension. You've got this multi-dimensional job to handle. And we've gotten a lot of work done on all these dimensions. I've got 850 words in the Colorado Sun coming up. And I reached out to Mitch Morrissey, Bill Ritter, Carol Chambers, people I know to talk about this because I spent day after day doing a docket in Denver District Court, and the assistant AG would come in every once in a while. It used to be somebody generally committing fraud on aid to dependent children, is what I think they called it. And it, it was a statewide uh, system of prosecution, but it was definitely less than 5% of the docket. In fact, I think Bill said it was 1%. And yeah, Bill and I have gone back to being friends. It took a while because campaigns are hard. The other thing I was thinking about, Phil Weiser, 39th Attorney General of Colorado, is um, I want an AG with superior civil litigation skills on both sides because you have to defend the coffers of Colorado. I don't want you to waste our money. And then I want you to go get it when it's available. How have you done on that? 
Is that an important part of the job? The number is $230 million that we have returned to consumers' pocketbooks. That's by going after fraudsters, companies, charge people deceptively, for-profit colleges, student loan servicers who wrong people. $230 million back to consumers. On top of that, we got $530 million by taking on these drug companies and others who worked with them who caused and contributed to the opioid epidemic. And we set up 19 regional collaboratives to address that crisis. And on top of that, we've got litigation going right now against Juul, against Google. We're investigating TikTok and Instagram for harming kids' mental health. And as you know, we're working to address fraud against our state. We passed a new law, the False Claims Act, so that we can get whistleblowers to come forward about fraud and get money back for the state. So you are 100% right. The work we're doing is on behalf of consumers and on behalf of our state, and I'll put our record up against anybody's. And we will get to crime prevention because that's part of what's on your agenda. But we talked about number one and number two. But then I don't even know where to go from there because your job is so much more than that. I mean, you have water issues. What do I know about water issues? I did take water law at CU Law School and I passed somehow. I think Who taught you water law? Who taught you water law? Oh, was it David Getches? Yeah, and it was the one class I didn't always attend because I had a good buddy who worked in the DA's office with us. Michael Cohen took great notes. And I think it was one of the Calhouns. There were a couple of Calhouns back there. But, you know, I had my crim law professor, uh, Albert Alshuler, on my show recently. He went on to the University of Chicago. I bet you've heard of him. He was sure something have. else. And uh, that was about five or six episodes ago. The re- CU Law School is a great place. And while we're talking about that, I graduated there, Brockler did, Kellner. I always bring up Brockler and Kellner because it seems like that race never ended. It's sort of Trumpian that George Brockler, I mean, when I lost to Bill Ritter, I let him do his job without sniping. I had some media opportunities, and then I went on to do a lot of radio, and I just wasn't always after his ass. Anyway, Brock, uh, by his own admission, John Kellner, who ascended to the job, got elected. You know, I had John on, and John's been invited back, and so far, he, he won't come on. But I had him on when he lost initially in the 18th Judicial District, and then he did some ballot curing, and he won one of the closest elections ever. And he came on my show to say the election system is fair as hell in Colorado. And let's just go there right now, uh, Mr. Attorney General, because I've never seen a greater threat to democracy than this big lie election denialism, which comes from Donald Trump. And certain people in Colorado have, uh, you know, expressed support of that. And they have a right to say whatever. But when you start bringing strangers into voting machines and you're going to put our whole election system at risk, I commend you for working with a Republican DA in Mesa County. Uh, Dan Rubenstein, also a guy who's been a guest in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, a Cherry Creek grad. He's, he's, a, he's a stalwart Republican. You worked with him. Why did you do it? Why did you get involved in that mess? Well, first, because it's so important. And I, and I just want to underline what you said. And, and Craig, I can't thank you enough for being such a honest and 
vigilant defender of our democracy. There's not a principle that's more important to me than having democratic, small d, governance under the rule of law, which means the consent of the governed, as our Declaration of Independence puts it, or the will of the people, as it's often talked about. People vote in elections. We honor the results of elections. We have seen many countries go down this hole where people won't accept election results, and you take to the streets, and you engage in underhanded tactics to undermine the peaceful transition of power. In our republic, for 230 years, we had never seen efforts to undermine the peaceful transition of power. What happened, most notably on January 6, is one of the darkest days in American history. The fact that many people um, voted not to certify the election were moved by these lies. And there was a good article I saw recently saw say that the big joke has enabled the big lie. A lot of people behind closed doors will say, oh, yeah, of course, we know Donald Trump lost the election, but we're just going along with it. What's the harm? The harm is that there are people who then believe the lies they're being told and don't believe facts. I've talked to the attorney general of Georgia, for example, who said they had 12 pieces of litigation, not a single shred of fraud. They had three recounting of the ballots in Georgia, one of which was by hand. Donald Trump lost Georgia. And yet people still, many Republicans, believe the opposite. And that's a, a real threat. What Dan Rubenstein has done in Mesa County, which is a conservative county, standing up against an effort to undermine our election integrity is a profile in courage. It's a commitment to the rule of law. And it is what a defender of democracy looks like. And so working with him on an important case involving a county clerk who sought to breach your duties, break the law, uh, is among the most important work I can do. And I also had the experience of arguing at the Supreme Court to defend this principle against the idea that electors could go rogue, uh, something that we didn't see, thankfully, in the 2020 election, extorting or bribing electors. Uh, and part of the reason we didn't see is because I won that case unanimously at the Supreme Court. We have another case coming to the Supreme Court, which is another threat to democracy. You've probably heard about this case, the so-called independent state legislatures doctrine idea, which if it goes the wrong way, state legislatures will have the ability to basically override the results of the people, to evade any form of judicial review for their actions, and to break the laws that have governed in those states. So this is a scary time for democracy. I talked about this in one of the forums I had with um, my opponent, which is we are facing a democracy crisis. And one of the things we so desperately need is people who can really stand up like you have and acknowledge that we have to safeguard our elections. We do that really well in Colorado. We have to accept election results and we've got to call out the big lie. Right. And I'd like to reward some of the Republicans who have called out the big lie. Joe O'Day has been a guest on my show. Now he says he doesn't want Trump running again. To me, that's good. And he's getting castigated for not being pro-choice enough. Well, at least he's somewhat pro-choice. Anyway, I don't want to leave the big joke leading to the big lie without talking about some Republicans in Colorado who really disappoint me. You know, I think Ken Buck, I know he was at, uh, well, Bill Ritter was best man at Ken Buck's wedding. And we used to all play basketball against each other when Ken was an assistant U.S. attorney. I just thought, you know, he's Republican, we're a Democrat. But when he voted to not certify that election, and you look back on his Meet the Press appearance where he said, you know, it'd be good if uh, the legislature selected senators again. What was that, the 17th Amendment? It's like, where's that coming from? 
And to me, it's an anti-democratic instinct where they say, we are the white guys in charge. We see what's coming. We have to suppress this vote. That's why I went down to Austin to support Beto O'Rourke and Willie Nelson and others and, and, and the poverty march, just because this voting rights issue is a key big thing. And I want an attorney general who will safeguard that. I had Amber McReynolds on recently, and Colorado really did come up with a great system. And now to hear it denigrated, just respond to that, if you would, Mr. Attorney General. It's not factual. You're hearing sometimes people say, this has become a political issue. Let's only have ballots on Election Day that people vote in person. Um, That's trying to make it more difficult for people to vote. The goal should be to make it safe, easy, and secure for people to vote. Colorado, as you said well, has perfected it. And you mentioned calling out Republicans who've been heroes for democracy. Well, Wayne Williams is someone who's on that list for me. He has given a lot of his public service to perfecting and to honoring and stewarding our system of elections. In fact, he's the person we turn to after um, Tina Peters was judged um, inappropriate to be the steward for elections Mm -hmm. in Mace County. Wayne Williams came in to oversee it. And Wayne Williams and I did something else because I think this is another, it's called adjacent threat to democracy. So obviously if you don't have people having access to vote or if you undermine the counting of the vote, those are two huge threats to democracy. I'm worried about working on those two. There's a third threat too, which is demonizing people and castigating them as others not worthy of being listened to or in dialogue with. And, and a point I know you want to get to is that the conversations we had with Bobby Yar talking about the demonization of the Holocaust. One of the things that Wayne and I are doing related to democracy is encouraging that respectful dialogue, encouraging listening as part of democracy. We do this thing called the Unified Colorado Challenge, where we made sure that people had the ability to be in conversation with other Coloradans who come from different perspectives. And you have long been sort of an independent voice who was heterodox in your thinking. You had different sorts of views on different issues. You talked to different people. Um, One of the worries I have now is that we're losing the space in our democracy for people to be heard. And and I'm so proud of my campaign. Cynthia Kaufman, my direct predecessor Republican, Rob Whitworth, a noted former Republican, now independent. Cole Wiss, another former Republican, now independent. Russ George, another former Republican, now independent. They've all said, we want um, they want me because I'm someone who cares about that dialogue and that problem-solving mindset that we in Colorado have excelled at. So that's part of democracy, too. I'm fighting for that as well. Well, that was a big one. Cynthia Kaufman, former Republican attorney general, endorsing you. And Wayne Williams, I don't know if he's endorsed you, but I like Wayne Williams a lot. And he's been in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. And I think if you do it right— And generally, people who graduated CU Law do it right. There are exceptions, but you have a special responsibility. You're supposed to be honest. You're an officer of the court. I think guys like Wayne Williams take that seriously. I know you do as well. And and it's important. Those people who would ignore it, we saw what this has led to. And it occurs to me that I haven't had you on the air or given you a chance to talk about January 6th. Because that was the outgrowth of the big lie. And it's not over yet. You, Phil Weiser, who worked for Supreme Court justices in that city, and one of the greatest days of my life was taking my son, then 15, 
through the Capitol all day, and then we relaxed on the steps of the Supreme Court, and we looked at the moon coming up. And I said, son, maybe you'll be like Phil Weiser. You'll argue a case before the Supreme Court. (laughs) You know what? And now he said, see you still dreaming about those things. And to see the Capitol come under attack, and now the Supreme Court, what's going on in D.C.? Talk about January 6th and how it affected you. I'm still, it's still affecting me, and I'm still trying to make sense of it. And I think the demonization point is part of it, which is if you're programmed to think that Democrats going into power is a big threat to everything you believe in, that can justify criminal activity, that can justify undermining of our governmental institutions. The people who showed up that day were stirred up. Um, This is why I believe that was an impeachable offense. Liz Cheney said it really well. If it's not impeachable for the executive branch to basically undermine the legislative branch's stewarding of the peaceful transition of power, I don't know what is impeachable. Um, That was a unthinkable act. And and the great thing about the January 6th hearings is they've brought more and more light into what was happening and just how, um, again, uh, unconscionable it is to basically turn a mob on a vice president doing his constitutional duty. If we erode our constitutional system of governance, we lose everything. That was what was at stake on January 6th. And that's why what Mike Pence did that day was uh, a patriotic doing his duty. He said, I believe in principle and nation. I'm not going to be a part of this plot. And he was skewered um, publicly for doing his constitutional duty. Um, He needs to be um, praised for that. I I wish he would testify and talk more about what was happening that day. I hope some of that breaks through for people because we can't flirt with uh, totalitarianism. We can't flirt with undermining the rule of law. And we can't look the other way when people commit these terrible crimes. And we have to ask the question, and this is also a tragic thing that happened afterwards, which is we as a nation, have had horrible things happen, Watergate, 9-11, and we've asked, how did this happen, and how do we avoid it from happening again? We didn't get that type of bipartisan commission after January 6th because Republicans said, we don't want that conversation, with a few exceptions, again, Liz Cheney, a Carter College grad, um, really showing herself to be uh, a patriot first and standing up for the Constitution and the rule of law. What I think we have to ask from those willing to be honest is how did this happen? And I'll tell you one element of this that scares me is the demonization on social media. One of the people who was on the Capitol that day, Thomas Webster, is a former police officer who was in Mike Bloomberg's security detail. He was asked, why did you show up in full body armor ready to attack law enforcement officers? And he said, well, I watched videos, scores of videos, he didn't say what platform was on, of people like me getting beaten up by the police. So I came ready to fight. Uh, that's scary that he could have been programmed to believe he had this uh, existential fight that he had to take even at the cost of our constitution, at the cost of him committing crimes. Um, This is scary what's happening, whether it's Proud Boys or other groups that are um, stewing hate, encouraging violence. Um, It is a threat to our democracy. We all have to stand for our democracy. And one more final point. When we talk about law enforcement officers, a lot of the work I'm doing is to help support law enforcement with better training, mental health support, recruitment retention. Let's think about officers like Eugene Goodman, who saved lives that day, uh, true heroes. And let's recognize that we lost more law enforcement 
after the fact who died by suicide from serving on January 6th, then we lost that day. Um, that says something about law enforcement and the difficulty and trauma of being a, a police officer. Absolutely. Mike Pence, also a lawyer. And I do think lawyers have a special responsibility. I did get to talk to you at Bobby R. And I worry about that January 6th crowd. It looked like Charlottesville to me, which was a huge turning point in my analysis of Donald Trump. Should have come earlier, but Charlottesville, my God. And I worry where this can go. And the Republicans who won't stand up to it, call it out, shout it down, say not in our party, but the GOP has just rolled over. Donald Trump puts out a racist tweet against his former Asian Transportation Secretary, Elaine Chow, called her Coco Chow, and then he put a death threat on Mitch McConnell. What kind of a world are we living in where the Republicans won't even stand up to that? You talk about crime issues. To me, when you have a civilization like that, a guy just got sentenced to 18 months for threatening uh, Jenna Griswold. I handled the case. Uh, We had to go to the civil arena because not enough was done in the criminal justice system when Rhonda Fields got threatened. And this environment is unsustainable, and it can lead, in the worst case, to a place called Bobby R. And I was so proud of you and the governor. You showed up. It was a long program in the sun, beautiful music, but I know how busy you are. Why did you feel it necessary to be there on the 81st anniversary of 34,000 Jews getting shot to death by authoritarians who thought they were lesser? What's going on, Phil Weiser? Why was that so important to you? And I should point out, on the AG's website is a copy of his speech. I wish you could watch it because it was powerful. Why did you take time to do that? Well, everyone has to decide what their why is, particularly when they want to be in public service. My why is that my family, my grandparents, my mom survived the Holocaust. My mom was actually born in a concentration camp, and she was liberated along with my grandma at Buchenwald. Um, she was seven days old. My grandmother was in her late 30s. and it's a miracle that I'm even here. Uh, and that's part because the U.S. Army uh, took on Nazism. And it's part because my grandmother was an amazing person who was full of optimism and resilience. And when I think about what the Nazis did, a little bit like January 6th, I've got to ask, how did it happen? And you put your finger on it. If you go to the Holocaust Museum in Israel, Yad Vashem, you'll see it has the precursors to the Holocaust. It was tropes about anti-Semitism and conspiracy theories about Jews that were getting trafficked in and were getting put into the bloodstream. Um, Things, by the way, like replacement theory, something that is now out there. And you mentioned Charlottesville. We saw that chant, Jews will not replace us. We've seen attacks on synagogues recently in the United States, something that never happened before with the desire to kill Jews during Saturday morning services. So it's a scary time we're living in. We have to make time to learn the lessons of history, to see the scary signs and call them out. Um, This is work I'm committed to doing, we'll keep doing. We're working very closely with the ADL in our office on hate crimes, addressing this threat that isn't only harming Jews, but Sikhs and Muslims and Asian Americans. It's not okay to demonize people 
It's not okay to use rhetoric that is encouraging violence or that is perpetrating stereotypes. We're we're living in a scary time because there's more of that out there and we all got to do our part. And in my speech, you talk, I talk about some things I'm doing in the AG's office on just that. I'll tell you what, those tropes, I feel them as a Jewish person when they're lobbed against members of my tribe. And we talk that way sometimes because the Jewish people are a tiny group and we take notice of the first Jewish governor of Colorado, who happens to be the first gay governor. Are you the first Jewish attorney general? I am. I yes. am. I am. And it was it was really something because Janet Griswold is also Jewish. We had our first Jewish governor, first Jewish attorney general, first Jewish secretary of state, all uh, elected in the same cycle. And, and by the way, Dave Young, who is there and Bobby, our state treasurer, is fond of me saying um, we're all Jews and Dave is Jewish <laughs> because um, he feels Jewish. So um, we're we're in a state, Colorado, that has uh, a lot of history around tolerance, around welcoming diversity. I think about Ralph Carr, who refused to intern Japanese Americans during World II, World War II, a real profile in courage. That's the spirit that I seek to follow and uh, follow true north, because our nation's motto is e pluribus unum. For many, we are one. That's that's who we are as Americans. Right, but I hear these attacks on the governor and you, and to an extent, Jenna, but it's always the same. And you are so wise, if I can use that word, Phil Weiser. <laughs> Do not watch the U.S. and the Holocaust because you are too busy and you will get too worked up the way I did, the way my rabbi, Rabbi Ryans, did. Who what a call Nidre speech because you get fired up watching that. And you realize because Deborah Lipstadt comes on and she, she boils it down simply. These tropes, these uh, stories about the Jews, it always involves money. Oh, that Phil Weiser's got so much money. And that, oh my God, Jared Polis, wealthy. And then they're smart. But they're not smart, they're clever. No, they're conniving. Let's call them the professor, something like that. And then it's always a cabal. You guys, you know, you and me and others, we have our secret meetings. But, you know, anybody could come to Bobby R and see what we care about. Our, our proceedings are open. Am I overreacting or does some of it feel like, wow, you guys, what are you saying? Well, I think the language we use matters. So I think that's the thing to know about. And just to call out what was so hateful about Charlottesville is to have the U.S. president afterwards say they're good people on both sides. Just think about that statement. There is no such thing as a good white supremacist or a good Nazi. Um, people who talk about the extermination, the subjugation, or the demonization of people because of their race, their religion, their ethnicity, their sexual orientation or gender identity, um, that is un-American. And so we have to stand against it. One of the things I love about ADL is the point that they make. Hate can jump from one track to another track. There's that great line about the Holocaust. First, they came for the Jews. Then they came for the gypsies. Then they came for the homosexuals. You know, then they came for others. And then by the time they came for me, there was no one to protest. So we have to all be vigilant when we see stereotypes, when we see gang up on anybody because of who they are. We got to stand against it and stand for all of us being treated as human beings. You bring out the law student in me and the proof is in the pudding, right? Anybody who gave Trump the benefit of the doubt and 
I was on air and he made like three different statements and each one dug it further. But people said, oh, he condemned white supremacy. But then came the Proud Boys, stand, stand back and stand by. And now the Proud Boys, thank God, they got a guy to flip. It's all going to fall down on them if we can have the justice system work. That's why the midterms are so important. My point is this. We don't have to guess whether he's in bed with white supremacists. And we don't have to guess about Tucker Carlson, that Putin-loving cretin. The ADL has specifically condemned Tucker Carlson for his bigotry, his replacement theory stuff that led to the Holocaust. And yet I have former friends who play him every day on their radio shows like he's a god himself. It disgusts me. And then Barack Obama. I went to your webpage and you've got a picture Uh, your beautiful family in the Oval Office with Barack Obama. And that's another thing where the proof's been in the pudding. I was concerned about Jeremiah Wright because I don't like racism coming from any direction. I didn't like what he said about Israel. And to me, some of Obama's associations worried me. Maybe he's radical, but now we've seen he's not. He's a good father and a normal American. And all that birther stuff was a bunch of racism out of Trump's mouth, out of Peter Boyle's mouth. And it got people stirred up. Am I on any? Look how stirred up I am. That's why you don't. I know, Craig. So I've got to run. Yes, please. Just react to that. Let me close on these two points. You're totally right. Just think about 2008. John McCain was asked, Barack Obama is not an American. Um, He's not a U.S. citizen. The whole birther nonsense. And he said, Barack Obama is a good man. He's an American. We just disagree. We need to get back to that in our politics. That is, in effect, a fundamental challenge of our time. And when people say to me, do you believe we can do it? I say, of course I do, because America has been through dark periods, 1850s, 1930s. And my grandmother lived through a dark period, and she believed. So, Craig, I'm going to believe that people like you are going to help us carry forward and we'll defend the rule of law. And that's why I want to keep being attorney general. Um, Keep getting your voice out there. Thanks for all you do. All right, Phil Weiser. Thank you very much. Be safe. Good luck. Thanks again. Always great being with you in the lawyer's line. You take care now. Bye now. Okay, bye-bye now. Now, during the pandemic and otherwise, a lot of people have so much affection for their pets. That must come up all the time. What's going to happen to Scruffy? What can you tell us about that, Michael Bailey? What you can do is create a pet trust in Colorado. You put money into trust, and then that money is available and earmarked to care for the dog. And it can last the lifetime of the dog or 21 years, whichever is shorter. And then when the time frame for the trust is up, you can dictate who gets whatever leftover money, or I have several clients who will leave it to some sort of animal shelter or animal rescue to be able to care for other animals. How cool is that? You can go to Michael Bailey's office and he has offices all over and you could meet at your home, whatever. I love the way you practice law. You've kept it going for a long time. Tell everybody how they can make you their lawyer. So my phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. They can call me or they can go online to mobileestateplanning.com. And there's a link there where you can schedule an appointment with me. Okay, here's the thing. 
you've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. craigscoloradolaw.com because I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. 303-734-7156. Hello, Troubadour. How are you, Craig? Not bad for a working man. Kind of a disjointed week. What with Kol Nidre and Yom Kippur? Don't you feel it? Yeah, it was a great week. And it was... Uh... Really nice to have Yom Kippur and, and to stand there with you at the end, at the Nila service. Holy cow. Right before you got there, they did the Grand Elena where the cantor gets down on the ground and we've got shofars blowing like crazy. First time I ever saw a female blow a shofar and it was, what was that girl, about eight? She was about eight. <laughs> Had you ever seen a female blow a shofar well, I've seen Well, I've seen rabbis invite, you know, uh, whoever has a shofar up, and I've seen little kids. I think I think maybe I've seen a, a young girl play as well. It's great, absolutely. And every shul has the tikiyagadola, and everyone has an amazing guy who can go on forever. I'd like to see a battle. I I would pay money to see them go all out. And I mean. You'd think somebody would drop to the ground. You're a musician. Can you blow a shofar? Darn right I can blow a shofar. I blow, <laughs> I blow me. I'm waiting for the guy at Temple Emanuel to, to, kick, to kick the bucket so I can take over. You brought me to Temple Emanuel. They have like an orchestra. What's up with that? It's beautiful. Rabbi, I like yeah, it. Yeah, Rabbi Black's put together a beautiful band. I mean, he he's done amazing things over there. And the... Uh, Big screens so we don't have to get out our reading glasses. And it's kind of cool to have the Hebrew, the transliteration, and the English right there. So you can say, oh, yeah, that Hebrew word means this. Mm -hmm. Because with my kindergarten intelligence of Hebrew, anyway, we have a lot of Judaism on our show today. Phil Weiser, Ann Landman. It's it's funny how uh, all these Jews get together. Phil Weiser, Jared Polis, Jenna Griswold. Sounds like we're taking over the world. Let's just confess right now. Don't say that. <laughs> Don't say that because it, it 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 relates too much to you know some of your uh, some of your discourse on 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 antisemitism and taking no, over but the I whole just, thing. Right, yeah. but the fact that we can kid around. Some people are dead serious about their religion, right? And they would kill. And that's sort of the gist of this show and why I like your song, Talking Tongues. Talking uh, in Tongues. Talking in Tongues. Uh, where'd you get that? Well, the speaking in tongues is usually the term, I think. Talking in tongues I liked. And uh, it's just the idea of, of um, people not communicating with each other. Like one person being so uh, off base with their logic that it's as if they're talking in tongues when you when you hear them. There's plenty of examples out there these days. Right, but that concept, speaking in tongues, Yes, it was going through your brain. What do you think about when you see people doing that? 
You mean actually referring yes. to the to being taken over by spirits? Yes. Or by, by whatever. So much so that it's coming out of them. Well, I mean it's um it's a powerful thing. It's it's uh it's Is it, it real? It, I think the people who experience it believe it's real. Does it have some application with our political problems right now? N- um, n- not, nothing that comes to mind People right get now. overtaken by a spirit, a frenzy that isn't really rational. Okay. They start speaking in tongues or stuff that I can't really understand. I don't see why people think Donald Trump's such a great guy to you. Well, he's a tongue wagger for sure. I know, but what is it about people who go... To isn't we're contemplating whether there's a religious component here. Do you I think, there think is? it's a psychological component. Psychological. Myself, Craig. Okay. Myself, yes. And then what is it? A need? For, yes. A need for what? A need to uh, have a someone in your life who who is um, privy to the truth, someone who's who you're willing to give fealty to. Somebody who can save you? Someone who can save you. Mm-hmm. Okay, save us. And everybody would like a savior. And I would, I'm scared crapless right now by this uh, Joe Biden talking about nuclear Armageddon. Problem is, he's right. He's not saying anything that isn't true. It's right. very, very scary. And it's no exaggeration. What one of the things he said was that there's this is the the greatest nuclear threat since the Cuban Missile Crisis. Right. He's absolutely right. I remember when I was a little kid that Daisy ad: "Vote for Goldwater, and we're all going to get blown up. He's going to let loose with nukes in Vietnam, just like now we have to worry Putin's going to let loose with nukes in Ukraine." And oh my God, the weaponry, and he's talking about it. And you know what he accused America of? Vladimir Putin the other day? What's that? Satanism. He right. said, you guys don't know your genders over there. You know, right, I heard that, that, that drivel. Right, but yes. we, we can dismiss it like people talking in tongues, but he really said it, and he really has nukes, and he said, you guys used it twice. Yes, he did. He did say that, yes. Set the precedent, I believe he said. So I think in your song you talk about being on the ledge. Mm-hmm. The ed- I mean, don't you feel edgy right now? Oh, I mean. it, it's it's true. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, going, you know, modeling what could happen now is 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 a very it's a very frightening thing. You know, one thing I do believe is that you know nukes. You you cannot respond. We cannot get into any kind of nuclear right. exchange. Uh, Can't even uh, talk about Of any kind. No, it's hard to talk about. And um, God forbid that he would use anything, even on a, you know, the limited, whatever they call them, the, you know, the... Yeah, uh, limited nuke. Yeah. 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 Holy cow. You think we... You you have another line in this song, which rocks out. Love this song. Gets you moving. Gets you thinking. You have a line in there about the blind leading the blind. And we have such crappy leadership. And people are stealing so much and grifting. And where's morality? And we're getting back to the religion part of it. But to me, it's history as a teacher. Your dad's lifetime. Your dad's podcast. It's, it's, it's that special again. I don't know. You, get, you know I get worked up about these things, but... 
Speaking of your father, let's talk about something great. They're recognizing the 10th Mountain Division. Joe Biden's coming to Colorado, Camp Hill. What does that mean to you? And more importantly, to your father, Henry Gunders. Dad probably doesn't know. And you just sent me that uh, that that uh, text today that that uh, Camp Hill will now be a national monument, right? Remind everybody its connection to your father. Well, my father was was uh, in the 10th Mountain. After he grew up in div- Munich, got chased yes. out by the Nazis, and comes to America, ends up fighting for the good guys, getting trained because he was an expert skier. He was he was from Bavaria, Munich, and and loved to ski. And he was and when he saw that there were um, that there was training for soldiers um, on skis in Colorado, he volunteered and came out at at the age of nineteen. That's fantastic. And it's good that people will be recognized while they're still alive. Yeah. Can, can Henry get out here for that? Come on, let's get him up there. Possibly. Do you ever go up there? Dad's 98 now. Flying is a little tough for him, but, he, but you know, you never know. It's possible. Do you ever go up to Camp Hale? I've been there. Oh, yeah, sure. Is it worth visiting? Tennessee, Tennessee Pass, Camp Hale. Sure. Oh, for oh, me I it was. Oh, I have to get up yeah. there. It's yeah. up near Leadville, right? Yeah, we could go up together. We could hike up there. Do you remember his singing background on Talking in Tongues? Uh, probably. Um, no, I, I, I don't. Is it my daughter? You would know better than me. No, Maybe I don't get, think it is. Not well, my daughter's. Listen, right. But I just like there's a frantic nature to this song. Mm-hmm. And you say, I'm going to use my calm voice. Mm-hmm. You because were going a, calm voice, a calm voice can uh, sometimes get across better what you're, uh, you know, what you, you may be... Uh, infuriated about you know you lower your voice right and that's what i got out of temple emmanuel i mean i really uh, for uh, a synagogue that i always thought oh man it's sort of like a church over there it's 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 got some it's big i mean there's greatness everywhere and and i love that music it's, and i love the yeah. arc being open and you know we, we realize how temporary this all is and how to use our time right and i coined the phrase you got to throw smart punches not wild punches right you got to use your calm voice right every once in a while you got to shout out because temple sinai rabbi rhines said that silence is sinful when we're talking about jew hatred and the bigotries to the company that it was the most provocative sermon i ever heard from a rabbi let alone on Kol Nidre, right. and he named names. There's this guy, Nader Hashemi, who runs the uh, DU Middle East School, and when Salman Rushdie got stabbed, he said, on a podcast, well, Israel may have been behind it. Right. ADL protested. No evidence of that, by the way. None whatsoever. Anyway, the rabbi brought it up, and castigated Krista Kaper for the columns she wrote, against the rabbis and the ADL who criticized. The ADL is being ostracized by the MAGA world. Or they put down Tucker Carlson. Well, that's just the ADL, you know? But I do know the ADL, and they do speak up. And did you see that tweet or that posting by Trump against Elaine Chow, calling her Coco Chow, saying that her husband Mitch McConnell has a death wish the way he's going about things? I mean, it was a death threat and racism from the former president 
And I'm trying to keep my calm voice, Troubadour. Mm-hmm. Trying to. Mm-hmm. It's just like your song, Let's Let Everybody Listen. If you want to respond to that, go ahead. No, no. Let's, let's no, play let's, the song. let's hear Talking in Tongues because the words, I think there's a message in here by Dave Gunders, our Troubadour. Thanks, Troubadour. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, Craig. Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So 
by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined. It's all set up. So there's, it's like the the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey, because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right. And if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to michaelbaileylawllc.com. And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Hey, this is fun. Getting to meet people who you know via social media or their blog. Donald Trump has activated a lot of people who want to oppose everything that MAGA now stands for. That's how I discovered Ann Landman. She has a blog, and she informs me about the western slope of Colorado. And me being a front-range guy, what do I know about western Colorado? I know a lot more because I read Ann Landman. Ann, thanks for doing the podcast. Well, thanks for inviting me. Don't you agree there's sort of a collective where I learn uh, information from uh, you and other sources on the internet? For example, Heidi Beadle, who's been a great guest. And uh, I, I don't know why I bring her up, but she's she goes, she's fearless going places that I'm not going, like in Southern Colorado. She's with the Colorado Times Recorder. I had oh. Dave Flomberg on. He's with the Colorado Times Recorder. And you've kind of become a journalist yourself. Tell everybody about your blog. Well, I started the blog 10 years ago this year. Uh, before that, I worked for the Center for Media and Democracy, blogging for a website called prwatch.org. And there we specialized in corporate public relations, how corporations are um, trying to influence culture and politics that people are unaware of. And uh, I was there well, five and a half, almost six years, and then um, lost that job. You know, they were in Madison, Wisconsin, and I was here. And um, anyway, I missed blogging after that. It was hard to find another job doing that. I worked for a D-Smog blog for a little bit. 
but um, I, I miss putting my own spin on things. And so I decided to start my own blog, kind of in the vein of what I was doing for Center for Media and Democracy. And after doing it for a little bit uh, and, and just kind of living here on the Western Slope and looking around at all that was happening here, and I, I had a lot of thoughts of my own about what was going down over here. And I thought maybe maybe this area could benefit from a different take on on what's happening here, which would be mine. <laughs> because I, I didn't really see people uh, thinking about things the way I was and analyzing them the way I would and coming to conclusions the way I did. So I just thought I would start pumping that out on a blog. And over the years, it's become quite popular and it's been getting a lot of hits to the point where I had to get a bigger web hosting package. Nice. So, um, Tell us about then, that. What is big in the blogging world? Well, I'll get, um, let's see, I get a summary uh, once a week, and I'll get anywhere from maybe uh, like 1,600 to 5,000 views a week. And nice. uh, Yeah, and um, I had a, a hosting package with Bluehost, and that exceeded what they would do. They got mad at me. Uh, I had something particularly popular. No, what it is, it's your big font. You are the queen of big bots. Listen, I, I'm a communications major. I believe in making communication very easy, whether it's how you write or how you speak or, uh, you know, what font you use. And, uh, and you must so like Herschel Walker. He's a simple man. Anyway, uh, let's, let's go way back. There's a podcast. You said some intriguing things, especially that part about corporations trying to control us. But tell everybody where you grew up and how you came to be Ann Landman, Queen of Western Slope blog. <laughs> well, I grew up in um, Southern California in the Los Angeles area, specifically West Hollywood, California. And uh, then I, when I grew up, I found out I, I couldn't afford to live in my own hometown. And so um, I Can I stop up you there? Because I don't know if I've been in West Hollywood. I've certainly been in L.A., but... Is everybody gay in West Hollywood, or is that a myth? Uh, well, after I left, uh, West Hollywood incorporated as its own city, and it is a very gay-friendly city. There were a lot of gay people there. Um, I certainly met my first gay people when I was a teenager there, and uh, I wouldn't say everybody, but yeah, it's, it's heavily gay and very favorable towards gay folks there. Um, can but, yeah. I just say, when I grew up, Denver wasn't as gay-friendly. And I confess that I used the F word and stuff like that just Ooh. sort of ignorantly. And now I realize that that kind of bigotry really isn't cool. And it's reflective of people who will go further against other kind of people who they regard as different, not normal, right? Uh -huh. Yeah, and and there were when I came out here, I found that people used slurs that uh, they didn't realize were slurs. They drop them in normal conversation mm -hmm. about people, and it's a matter of enlightening people. You know, they were unaware that certain things they were saying were objectionable, um, and hopefully, people learn. You but know, if you, you, if you have uh, the temerity, are, to are you that. automatically woke if you're from West Hollywood? I don't know. I, I only know about myself. And you were. I, I mean, over to, did you grow up in a, an environment that encouraged that? What about your parents? Were they Well, yeah, my mom, uh, my mom was a, a physician, 
she was a medical doctor and early one of the early woman doctors and um and my dad was a civil rights attorney and so uh i had kind of a background in public health and in Can civil rights and i take rights. a guess and did say that might be a jewish family of yours a jewish family yes and um was that something special in West Hollywood, or did you live around a lot of other Jews? No, uh, no actually, where I grew up, was uh, it was a pretty heavily Jewish area. In fact, my parents, uh, my mom sent me to um, uh, an integrated day camp called Friendship Day Camp. And one of the things they did in summer was take, uh, you know, van loads of kids to uh, Japantown, Chinatown, Koreatown. And one day they said we were going to go to Jewish town. And I thought, well, gosh, you know, where's that? We got in the van and I ended up right back in my own neighborhood. And I, I pointed to a bookstore and I said, my grandmother works in that bookstore right there. And everybody was like thrilled and went in to go see my grandma. So, um, yeah, it was a heavily Jewish area around Fairfax district where Cantor's right. Delicacy is. And, yes. um, uh, you know, we used to have Hasidic Jews on the streets walking to shul on Friday nights. And so, um, yeah, it was a, at the time it was a place where most of the, just like, of the Jews just were. like Grand Junction. No. Um, <laughs> um, wow. Not so, too many Jews here. There's a handful. There's, there's a few. There's a few. There's, and you can find there's them There's a online. congregation. There's yes. a congregation here or Shalom. It has, I think about a hundred member families. Well, good. Because mm -hmm. I just have been dominating Denver synagogues because of the high holidays. Been thinking about it a lot, just as part of the topic that we are going to get to, because being Jewish myself, I don't understand Christianity that well, yet I feel like that's part of why I don't understand the politics of today, because Christianity might be a part of it. Am I right? Wrong? Well, it's increasingly a part of it, as we see with the rulings coming down from the Supreme Court and the, the types of things that um, that they're trying to address next. For example, talking about contraceptive, you know, these are all religious ideas. And uh, so more and more we're seeing uh, Christian tenets pushed out socially from uh, politics and it's getting kind of scary. So how does a West Hollywood girl react to something like that? Lauren Boebert saying, you know what? The church should be telling the state what to do. You guys have it wrong. And I've heard that argument advanced. I debated a guy on the radio for years about that. I just never thought that viewpoint would be ascendant. I never thought they'd have six votes on the Supreme Court. And I'm a lawyer. Is your dad still alive? No, my parents are both deceased. I bet but he my, would have been upset as a civil rights lawyer to see all these rights being dialed back. Yeah, it is. And I didn't think we'd see the day either, but I didn't think we'd see the day when Roe v. Wade would be undone as well. Um, but one of the other things I've done out here is in 2007, I started a nonprofit group called Western Colorado Atheists and Freethinkers. Um uh, one thing I noticed was that there was no voice here for people who were secular. And one way it came to my attention was I started going to city council meetings a few years before that. And at the beginning of the Grand Junction city council meetings, they had this period where they 
um, said the uh, you know pledge of allegiance, and then they had everybody remain standing for the invocation. And during the invocation, they had a, a minister or a pastor come and pray to Jesus at city council meetings. And people were standing around with their hands clasped and their heads bowed. And I, uh, this struck me as so wrong. And I didn't really knew what to do with it until I met up with someone else who was an atheist who worked for the city. And the, uh, she worked for the county and worked with the city. And she had to go to these meetings and... Uh, you know, go through this ritual where she had to bow her head and clasp her hands to look like everybody else because she was there on business for the agency. And she just felt pressured and she thought it was incorrect. And I thought we should say something. We should do something about all this. And so we started the group to start a dialogue with the city about this and about other topics. We found out that um, Christian uh, tenants are being pushed in the Delta schools, for example. They were making the kids uh, at the middle school see nativity plays, whether or not they believed in God. Uh, they were making the kids take Bibles in the um, library at the school. Um, they were having Bible studies before school at 730 and giving out donuts to all the kids who attended. You know, we just found all these things were going on, you know, under the surface. And uh, people were who didn't believe in it were even scared to report it because they didn't want to be targeted and singled out and get the backlash. And so my group, Western Colorado Atheists and Freethinkers, became the watchdog for separation of church and state. And we have a place on our website where people can report violations of separation of church and state. And then we will be the middleman. We will approach the agency, the school, the, um, the office, the um, uh, government about what they're doing wrong. We will confront them about it and tell them why we think it's wrong. And we will start the dialogue and we will make change that way. And we've been pretty successful. And we also ran billboards around town that are um, kind of fun and interesting and pro-atheism. And so people know that we're here now and there is a secular voice in town. And if there's ever an issue of separation of church and state, the local media knows to contact our group to get our opinion. That never happened before. That's cool. Has push ever come to shove where you've had to go to court? No, not over anything like that. Have you had success? What happened in Delta County? Did you get things changed? Well, um, we had a high school senior who uh, was punished for, uh, she, she came out as an atheist and, uh, and she was critical of a lot of the things the school was doing, particularly in regards to how they were pushing religion on kids. And they, uh, they, refused to give her endorsements to help her get scholarships and grants to go to university. She was from a low-income family, and her dad was disabled, and she really needed the money to be able to go to uh, college. And they cheated her out of these um, uh, scholarships that she, and grants she had lined up. And uh, she ended up actually suing the school district after she left. That wasn't our doing, but we helped raise about $5,000 to help her pay for college in lieu of, you know, her losing some of her grants and all. 
And she ended up settling with them. In fact, I think it was the firm that you worked for who defended her. Wow. And uh, prosecuted that case against the school district. But Yeah, Springer and yeah. Steinberg. and yes, uh, it was them. Jeff Springer, mm -hmm. I think, was involved. Um, well, he proves everything on the civil side. They do a lot of great things and yeah. great lawyers. So that's good to know. And thanks yeah. for telling that story. Yeah. Why, We've had why, other why, victories, too. Yes. No, that's uh, good. Do you get um, threats? Do people get mad oh, at you? Yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, I've had my share of threats, definitely, um, including grisly death threats and nasty letters and things left on my property and stickers left on my mailbox. Um, oh, absolutely, we get that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I'm famous for saying... Um, that in Mesa County, if you're not getting death threats, you're not making a difference. And that seems to be the way that it is. Jeez. I've gotten pretty tough over the years. Right. Still, I spoke with Phil Weiser about it. It's in the news today. A man sentenced 18 months for threatening Jenna Griswold. I, oh, I, I represented Rhonda Fields when she got threatened, and we tried to get the Denver DA to take it that seriously every case is a little different but these threats are really designed to make people like you stand down and stop exactly. doing what you're doing why don't you what's wrong with exactly you? yeah and it and it in, intimidates people well you know i've thought about this and um I, I first got a tough skin uh, when I was working for the American Lung Association of Colorado, and we were working on secondhand smoke issues. And um, I, we were trying to get um, secondhand smoke out of restaurants and bars and workplaces around here. And I had a restaurateur who got very angry with me and came into my office and was yelling at me. And I had to get my boss on the phone from Denver and um, and we got a lot of anger around that whole effort to lobby for uh, for smoke-free places. And so that's where I, I first um, kind of got a tougher uh, what, skin. What, I had year, to do it. what year was that? That was around 1997, oh 1998. And do you, do you remember a woman named Stephanie Steinberg involved, especially as regards the mountain casinos and keeping smoke out of there? Where was she? Stephanie Steinberg. It sounds big. She was familiar. from uh, Rappo County, Colorado. Oh. Anyway, oh, I might have no, worked with I, her. They, she, was, she was somebody I knew who went about that effort. And people say, wow, now people take it for granted you can't smoke there. But uh, right. back in the day, it was people like you and Stephanie who made the difference. Well, thank you. Yeah, so we we had to do presentations and go to city council, and you kind of in that job, I I got set up as a target, but I was paid to do it. So you know, I considered it was just part of the job description, um, but it was thickening my skin to that kind of criticism. And uh, fortunately, uh, I've found a lot of it is just talk, and it's meant to intimidate. And if you just kind of brush it uh, off and keep going, you know, that's how you achieve what you set out to achieve is if you don't give up. So you just got to keep at it. All right. Your blog, people just put in Ann Landman, 
It's A-N-N-E, last name, L-A-N-D-M-A-N. How do you do it? When do you do it? What's your schedule like? Well, I try and post at least a couple of times a week. It depends on what I'm working on. If it's something long and extensive like my voter guide, it might take me a few days. Um, And I will do it usually once I tire my dog out for the morning by taking him for a good walk so he'll leave me alone. I'll devote a couple of hours to it. I don't get paid to do it. I do it all on my own time. Um, I Once I started incurring more costs for web hosting, I put a link on there so people can donate if they want to help. And so I get a little bit to help defray the cost of maintaining it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I might work on it any time of day. I try not to push the publish button past eight at night because... I usually find I make some mistake if I'm writing late at night, and I'm better looking at it once again in the morning before I actually send it out for public consumption. But um, And I, I try to use a lot of pictures and graphics to make it interesting and keep it snappy and topical. And I try and change my header photos a lot and um, just kind of keep it interesting. It is interesting, especially for those of us trying to figure out the Western Slope. What would you say is your absolute wheelhouse? Is it Mesa County? Yes, I'd say the politics in Mesa County is um, is my main topic. I pay attention to it. I know most of the players because I've been here a long time. I've been here since 1982. I started really paying attention to politics around 1991. When um, development, uh, we had a big, heavy wave of development coming, and I started going to uh, county commissioner meetings and city council meetings and seeing who the players were and listening to what they were talking about and what they were doing. And so I got acquainted with it that way. And uh, over the years, just watched in um, amazement at how really crazy and inept and out of touch and uh, contradictory and hypocritical a lot of these politicians are here. And and yet no one was talking about it. Nobody was putting it down anywhere. Nobody was was exposing it. Well, I knew a couple of Mays County politicians. Steve Erkenbrack was the DA out there. He seemed normal. The DA out there now seems pretty normal. Dan Rubenstein. Mm -hmm. And then I knew Scott McGinnis, and we can debate whether he's normal or not, but I (laughs) liked him. I liked him, and I still did. Uh, He came on the podcast to talk about Tina Peters and express his uh, feelings about that. So to me, Scott McGinnis at least will stand up to Tina Peters. I don't know what he said about the big guy, Trump, but I'll shut up about Scott McGinnis because you are the Western Slope Mesa County expert, and he's still the he's Mesa County Commissioner. So what's yeah. your opinion of Scott McGinnis? Well, um, I, I first paid attention to him over the um, uh, plagiarism scandal. And, of course, I wasn't too favorable about that. And that and- all broke on the Capitalist and Silverman show. And then... Oh. And Mike Litwin, who's going into the Press Hall of Fame this weekend, he he wrote about it, and he said that Scott had performed a me-KO. I thought that was a funny phrase. 
as opposed to a TKO. He knocked himself out because I was doing the questioning, but he was just digging himself his own grave, not under cross-examination, but just kind of the way I'm questioning you. It would be like if you started confessing that you steal your blog from this or that, or you know what, I, or maybe he said something. Yeah, he kind of hung himself. Yeah. Right, and it was all on tape. Lord, right, he was on he, tape, uh, he, right. He blamed an 84-year-old research assistant for it at first, and and then they talked about refunding the money to the foundation that had paid him some three hundred. dollars right. Now, in fairness to Scott, it was a long time ago, and in further fairness to Scott, I think our current Democratic president, he might have had a little bit of copying-itis, and I even confessed to Phil Weiser today that I might have copied a little on water law at least the outlines, because I didn't go to every class. It was too early in the morning. Anyway, <laughs> water's a Western Slope issue, by the way, right? Yeah, that is. <laughs> yeah. So Scott uh, McGinnis, other... he has the Canyon Lands named after him out there. Well, and, and, but that's another I uh, know. tested issue, because that wasn't really done above board. It wasn't recommended by anybody in Colorado. Nobody in Colorado voted for it. Um, it was... Uh, uh, two representatives from other states, I think they were Oregon and Guam, who were the, who brought that up and uh, put that bill through. And nobody here wanted it. And the people who were working with the Colorado Canyonlands Association were blindsided by it. And, and it cost $50,000 to change all the signs around the park. Um, and I just don't think that was done above board. So those are the two issues I have with Scott McInnes. Do you have anything nice to say about Scott? He stood up to Tina yes. in a magnificent way, yes. And he's been real clear on what she's cost the county. And uh, he's, you know, he's really been on the side, on the right side of that issue. So, you know, whatever his... Um, oh, there was something else he did. He was uh, for getting federal funding to fix an area of I-70 that was flooding through the Grand Valley here. Even though it was federal funds and a lot of right-wingers don't like taking federal funds for anything, he was really in favor of that. And so I'll give him some credit for that. And so how does that county commission break down right now? And don't you have some elections coming up in that regard? We have one seat up for grabs. Yes, it's, I think, the District 2 seat. We have two people running for it. One is uh, Bobby Daniel, and she is, uh, from everything I've seen, she is a, an election denier, and she's good friends with folks like Sharona Bishop and Tina Peters and Lauren Bobert. and I don't think she's well-suited to the position because we just don't need more people like that in positions of power around here. Look at the trouble we've had from Tina Peters and the trouble Sharona Bishop has caused and the controversy over Bobert. We just don't need more people like that. And the, um, the Democrat who's running is named Charles Pink. He's an electrician. He's kind of a mild-mannered guy. Holy cow. Did Dickens name this guy? He's mild-mannered, a Democrat in Meigs <laughs> County, and his name's Charles Pink? His name is Pink, yes. And, and I, did I think they call just... him a commie, Pinko? <laughs> I'm sure they will if he gets elected. How can a Democrat get elected out there? 
That's a good question. I so guess so. It's, it's, it's a done deal like, yeah. that a MAGA person's going to be on the commission, and, and how's Scott and his colleague going? Who is it? Roland is the other? Janet Roland, yes. And isn't she an ally of Scott on this uh, confronting Tina Peters over the big lie issue? She's, she's been confronting Tina Peters as well. And there's a rumor that she spoke to Bobby Daniel and told her to keep a lid on uh, uh, on the election denier stuff. Because Janet Roland's been targeted by the election deniers over uh, uh you know, renewing the contract with Dominion for the voting machines. And she's gotten a lot of harassment from local people over that. And she's had it. Um, but, you know, Janet Rowland was one of those folks who was, she was praying to Jesus herself at county commissioner meetings the first time she was county commissioner. You know, she's she's been a two-term commissioner prior to this. And uh, that was one of the things we confronted her about then. She crossed the bright red line by actually praying to Jesus herself. They didn't even use a middleman like a, a pastor or somebody to do it. And so um, we we confronted her about that as Western Colorado atheists and free thinkers, and and she didn't back down at all. In fact, she she tried to go underground with it. She took advice from the uh, Alliance Defending Freedom out of Scottsdale, apparently told her not to turn the the video camera on to record the meeting until um, after she's said her prayers, you know, so it's harder for us to monitor from home, for example, by watching the um, county commissioner meetings on the uh, cable channel and, and that kind of thing. She, she tried to take it underground and be more clandestine wow. about it, but, but keep doing it. Did you, and, did you say, boy, you know, that feels exclusionary to me. Very much. And did yeah, you say, what did you say? I'm an atheist and I don't like it? Right. And so they started. Don't you uh, think it maybe it would have been more effective if you would have said, hey, I'm a Jew? And uh, Well, but uh, they've had token Jews say the um, mm -hmm. invocation at the city. Right. Now, it was about 90% Christians and about 10% lay Jews mm -hmm. who would say them. And we actually compiled that data from watching all of the. Um, city council meetings, and we kept a, a, a chart of, you know, wh who did what invocation, and we came up with that data and used it to confront the city. And the, the city actually changed their um, their method of, of doing the invocation. They opened it up so everybody could say the invocation. It didn't depend on your religion. It, you don't have to be with an organization. Even anybody can apply to say the invocation. And so it's been much more equitable with the city. The county has not done anything like that, though. Would you consider uh, your part of Colorado to be the Bible Belt? Yes. Wow. I mean, just like Oklahoma, Kansas, Missouri, Bible Belt types? Yes, I'd say we are uh, oh, probably on par with Colorado. Colorado Springs is one of the more religious, conservative parts of the state. Uh, we don't have anything like focus on the family here, but it is a very conservative and and very religious place. Um, Do you think so it's it, getting more religious? You've been there for decades now. No, I think it's actually going the other way. Um, I think that we're getting a lot of folks moving in from well, the Front Range and from a lot of different states 
And actually, the religious and political composition of the area is changing. We have um, a mosque downtown now. Now, it's been vandalized, but um, we do have a, a, a Muslim mosque downtown. And the, the original square, one square mile of downtown is now uh, blue. It's democratic politically. And the um, areas just beyond that, a little bit out from the original uh, part of central downtown, are kind of light blue politically. And uh, we actually have people who contact our, our group, our atheist group, looking for some camaraderie with people who are not religious, you know, and want to get together with other people who are not religious and that, to my knowledge, never happened before. So um, I, I think it's it's getting more eclectic and a little bit more diverse around here. But it's still predominantly white, religious, conservative, right wing. I'd say our most eclectic Colorado city is Aurora. And that's where I first heard of Lauren Boebert. There was an event in Aurora. Beto O'Rourke was there and... There was Bobert confronting him, saying, you're never going to take my, was it AR-15, whatever. Mm-hmm. Did that come to your attention? Did, did you know much about her before then? No, I, I didn't. Um, when she was running was when I first found out about her, but her own county, Garfield County, did not vote for her. She lost her own county, and a lot of people up there know her and are familiar with her. And so I thought that was telling. Right, but how did she get so powerful so fast? She beat Scott Tipton, an entrenched Republican. She seemed to have the aid of Sharona Bishop. What was going on out there? She uh, She's a culture warrior. She pushes people's hot buttons, um, politi- you know, just, uh, you know, and, uh, talking about things that um, yeah, really like get Yeah, like the church angry. should tell the state what to do, right? Right, yes. And um, and so she gins up anger that way. And for some reason, that's produced a lot of money. People send a lot of donations to her, just like they do to Trump to build the wall. Um, so she's, she's managed to amass a lot of money, and that has translated into a lot of power because it's given her the ability to get on the media and make a lot of TV ads. And um, so I think, any you know, how they say there's no bad attention, if you can draw right. attention to yourself, she's going on that. And anything that she can do to get attention to herself and the strapping the gun to her leg gets her attention and being cute gets attention and saying nasty things about people, insulting Jews and Muslims and it all gets her attention and she thrives on it. And that draws more money. Who knew that people who were so full of hatred had so much money and were so uh, free to send it around to other folks? Well, that kind of gets back to your corporations trying to control people. I mean, the internet uh, gets everybody's brain. People read the opposite of your blog and they get influenced. But I want to know, if you have any hot skinny on Sharona Bishop, does she still live in Colorado? Was she the one, the brains behind Bobert or vice versa? And are they in a feud now? 
I think she's the brains behind Tina Peters. Sharona moved to Texas. And uh, uh, I think she did it for a combination of reasons. For one thing, she was offered a job as a talk show host on Mike Lindell's Lindell TV. It's, uh, it's as close as you can get to an actual mainstream talk show and, and still be far sure. right wing. He's got his own media uh, right, yeah. selling his yeah. products, making money, and That's uh, right. and Sharona Bishop, she's pretty good at, at it. I watched her on Facebook, and she's attractive. She's glib. Um, yep, she's well spoken, and she's another bomb thrower, and she gets a lot of attention. And then, uh, right about the same time that she moved down there, she she's been very cagey. I've noticed on her social media about exactly where she is in Texas, and it's a pretty big state. And I think she, in her mind, at least, is trying to make it hard for law enforcement to find her if and when they finally want to indict her. Right, because they searched her house just like it was Mar-a-Lago, right. except they right. she was actually home, and she alleges some brutality or invasion. Right. It's hard to know what to believe, but. We do know that Tina Peters got elected. You say Sharona Bishop got her into it or what? I think Sharona got her into the election denial stuff. People here elected Right, but how did right before then was was Tina Peters normal? I didn't know her then, but what people forget was that earlier before this election denial stuff she was the only person in Mesa County ever to refuse to count hundreds of legitimately cast ballots. She lost 574 ballots in. she left them in the ballot box from the 2019 election. They discovered when they were going out to the ballot box for the 2020 election to uh, collect ballots. They found that these ballots from the last election were left there uncollected. So they took them out and uh, Tina had the uh, Ability to petition a judge to count those and have them included with the certified total from the 2019 election, and she she never did. She promised she would, and she never did. So she just let them sit in a box in her uh, apparently down there at her office until the 24 months time, 25 months, whatever they that they have to keep them expired. So. Uh, people forget that gaffe. That's when we first got an inkling that Tina Peters wasn't a very capable person in that position. And it just all went downhill from there. Right. And uh, I think that what really went downhill is the day that her son died. He was, by all accounts, an accomplished Navy SEAL. He right. died in an air show over right. New York City. That will rock anybody's world, right? Yeah, and, yeah. that was very sad. And, yeah. and so, I don't know, I, most people turn to their religion. I don't know what an atheist does, but um, a lot of people turn to their religion when a catastrophe happens like that. I don't know what her church taught her or if that's when she became susceptible. I just know Mike Lindell always has big cross around him and advertises his Christianity, so does Lauren Boebert. So I wonder if she was religious before that. And then didn't Mike Lindell really kind of romance her with the private jet travel? What's the relationship there? I'm not exactly sure, but she was 
living high, you know, he was paying for her to stay in hotels. He paid for security detail for her and she was flying around on not just one private jet, but I found out she had multiple private jets at her disposal. All she had to do was pick up a phone and book one that came out at one of her court hearings. Um, as far as her being religious, you know, I've, her family has contacted me, you know, they've followed my blog about her also and uh, told me that I have absolutely nailed her. It's exactly the way she is. She's seeking uh, sympathy and uh, trying to make money and stay in the limelight and uh, being pretty cruel to them as well. But uh, from what they tell me, she, she wasn't ever particularly religious and this could all be an act now what she's putting on. So, um, and then she also wrote in a little bio sketch she did of herself that back in 2010, she uh, incurred a head injury in an accident. And I wonder if that might have something to do with it. I did a blog that was very sympathetic towards her at one point, kind of a what's the matter with Tina blog. And I gave her the benefit of the doubt that maybe she was having some kind of psychological problem because it didn't really make sense that she was being this martyr, incurring all these legal fees and getting in all this jeopardy and sacrificing her her position and uh, her good name for this election denial stuff. It just didn't make sense. And I noticed that in her talks that she was giving uh, before various audiences after that, she started saying, uh, you know, she started saying like a rough quote, like, I'm not depressed. I'm not suicidal. You know, she made it a point to say that she didn't have any kind of emotional problem, but she's been completely defiant in everything that she's done. And she's even uh, bad mouthed the judge and the DA, things that are counterintuitive when you're really in deep legal trouble criminally, things you don't want to do. You don't want to burn your bridges and, um, and get the ire of the, the people who are prosecuting you, who have the power to make things worse for you. And yet she just keeps digging her hole deeper and deeper. And to me, that doesn't sound like somebody who is mentally all there. So I just don't know where to come down on this, but her family, her, her family uh, has used words to describe her like vicious. And uh, uh, they just are, they're floored at everything that she's been doing. Because Tina's been bringing her family up more and more in her talk, saying things like, I mean, wild stuff, like DA Dan Rubenstein went into a nursing home and forced her husband, who has advanced dementia, to sign divorce papers so that he would divorce Tina. Um, you know, I've talked to Dan Rubenstein about that, and he says that's that just is completely, I mean, what is, What is up happened. with her marriage? What what happened there? Um, so... Yeah, her husband has uh, Parkinson's disease from exposure to Agent Orange when he was in the military. Um, How he, long were they married? It's around 32 years, I think. How many children? They have two kids. They had Remington, who died in the parachuting accident, and they have a daughter named Casey. And then I think Casey has one daughter. So they have one granddaughter that I know of. Um, and... Uh, and then didn't Tina work as a flight attendant for quite a while? She did. She worked as a flight attendant, and she worked selling Niken, which is a, like a multi-level marketing company that makes health magnets, you know, 
um, water treatment things, you know, kind of. Um, Have you, you had know? a chance to read that Maggie Haberman book yet about Trump? No, I want to get You'd it, You'd like Maggie Haberman because she was born Jewish, and there she was on Kol Nidre and Yom Kippur hawking her book. Kind of pissed me off, but the gist of it, and I did buy it. I might take mm. it back, but I don't know. She said mm. Trump wants to be a star. He always wanted the limelight. He wanted to be a star. Do you think that might be it with Tina? Yeah, I think there's... Um, <laughs> And I talked about this with my husband, who is a, a, a mental health counselor, and he thinks there's some um, narcissistic element to it. You know, she gets the attention, she gets the limelight, and she seems to th thrive off sympathy because she's just constantly coming up with more and more, frankly, kind of wild stories designed to generate sympathy among her audience. I think she's a lot like Trump that way. Um, bilking people for money just by putting herself out there as the, as a cause that they should support. Um, and interestingly, there was a, the beginnings of what sounded like a possible rift between her and Lindell when she claimed that Lindell paid for the attorney for um, this guy whose name she used, Gerald Wood, the guy she got right. a name in his name in order to smuggle Conan Hayes in to copy the hard drives. That's the surfer boy. Yes. And uh, uh, Gerald Wood has said he was an unwitting accomplice to this. They asked him to come in and um, apply to work for the county and then get an ID badge. Then they just, uh, Tina and Belinda, her um, second in charge, took the badge away from him and he never heard anything again. Uh, and he's saying he didn't know what was going on, uh, but Tina's saying he, he was a witting accomplice, that he was fully aware of what was going on, and he wanted to facilitate uh, this guy, Cone and Hayes, getting into Mesa County, so he willingly, knowingly uh, let them use his badge and his ID. Uh, and Tina is saying that Lindell paid for Gerald Wood's defense, and Lindell is saying he did not pay for that. Oh, it's going to be a wacky trial. I may have to it's go over there be. to watch Harvey yeah. Steinberg, who I've known forever, actually the husband, former husband of Stephanie Steinberg. Uh, that uh, that that uh, relationship is interesting, and it would be fascinating to watch uh, Harvey Steinberg interact with Randy Corcoran and with Tina Peters, and boy, he'll be earning... His money, although Mike Lindell told Marshall Zellinger that he had put in as much as eight hundred grand into it, right. and the issue becomes, well, how much money did they raise off of it? They had to move the operation out of state. Anyway, I left the law firm shortly thereafter. I don't really want to be any part of that, although I understand that everybody needs a lawyer. And I kind of go back and forth thinking— this ain't that big of a deal. You know what I mean? Probably mm -hmm. nobody's going to go to prison. It's not like somebody got robbed or raped or, God forbid, murdered. But then I say, what they're trying to kill is democracy in America. And this is part of the biggest plot and the biggest crime that I've ever seen in America. 
And I exactly. want guys like Dan Rubenstein and Phil Weiser to take every action necessary to get to the truth and to make sure this shit doesn't happen again. Exactly. And Tina has said that she thinks she's going to get a deal. You know, so it's just a matter of time until they propose a deal. And she, uh, I really think she believes she won't do any prison time around it. But yet, on the other hand, um, I, I think that the um, her accomplices have already gotten a lot of the cheese, you know, in the deal. They were the first mice to get the cheese, like Belinda Nisley, who was her deputy clerk, who flipped on Tina and uh, who, um, uh, you know, is going to testify at her trial. Um, and I don't think that Tina's going to get off that easy. I think she, you know, she's become a national cult figure in this whole election denial thing. And they need to make an example of somebody. And she's been uh, completely defiant about the whole thing. She doesn't believe she's done anything wrong. She insists everybody's out to get her. She says that the DA and the um, judge in her case, Judge Barrett, don't believe in the same God we do. She's turned it into a holy war. I, she's just thrown gas on the fire of this whole prosecution. And it doesn't seem that she's she's not complacent. She hasn't had any insight into why what she did was wrong. I think that they just have to make an example of somebody, and it's going to be her. Well, as part and of I'm this, very, yeah, she... She's got herself in a pickle, and I was prosecutor for a decade and a half. And it takes two people to make a plea bargain. You can put G-O-R-T on a file, which means guilty or trial. You don't have to plea bargain. And I think that's the attitude of Dan Rubenstein, the Republican DA out there. What kind of pressure is he experiencing, and what do you think of that man? Dan Rubenstein? Yes. I, I think he's doing a good job. Uh, I'd like to hear more from him about the status of the case. Everybody wants to know what's next. When's Tina going to be prosecuted? When she, you know, we now have dates when she's going to be going to trial, which is good. It's going to be in March. He's been pretty tight lipped about it. Can, publicly, I, bet, can but, I bet it gets continued again? I mean, oh, it's not a certainty, all, but I, I do know that I, I I just would always bet on the over, okay? Anyway, keep going. It's possible. That's, I think, all that Harvey Steinberg has left is delay. Um, I don't think Tina's given him much to work with. But on the other hand, Dan Rubenstein is eager to get this over with because, in his words, you know, I've talked to him, and in his his words, he'd like to get back to prosecuting murderers and real criminals around here and stop spending all this time on Tina Peters stuff. Right. But it feels like we're all a victim and let's put the blame right where it belongs. Or maybe you don't agree. Donald Trump, he's the guy who's poured gas on this fire. I don't know how high it was simmering before he came along. I didn't really feel it here on the front range, but since he came aboard, I'm feeling things well, we all are, right? But including racism, anti-Semitism, and how could we not? Trump was a birther, and a lot of people said, well, that's okay. And yeah, he called that Judge Mexican. And uh, 
And and some of us got off at Charlottesville. Should have done it before. But the bottom line is Donald Trump. What are your thoughts about him? And how how does he play on the Western Slope? He's big here, unfortunately, on the Western Slope. It's really embarrassing. Uh, I I felt one of my first big points of outrage with him were at Helsinki when he believed Vladimir Putin over our own intelligence agencies. That's when I, you know, the hair on the back of my neck really stood up and I got uh, just outraged, just outraged. I, I, I managed to get together enough money to get a, a billboard that had, uh, just the three letters, it was red with white letters, G-O-P, and the O was a hammer and sickle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, 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 people were walking cash up to my front door to help keep that billboard up here. It got really controversial. Uh, although that's kind of misleading because it's not communism. It's autocracy. It's Putinism. It's authoritarianism. And I, and am am yes. I wrong? I argue with my sidekick, Troubadour Dave Gunders, but I see conspiracy between Trump and Putin. Do you? Absolutely. Yeah. And there was another billboard we had up, which just had the classic Trump suit with this long red tie uh, ribboning out along it. And it said um, long red ties on it. You know, we uh, we had that billboard mm. up as well. So we, we were trying to push back here. There's some people here who are grounded and sane and value democracy and saw what was going on. And we've tried valiantly to push back over the Trump administration, you know, we kind of thought at the end of that, when Biden was elected, we might be able to relax a little bit, but no, that hasn't been the case. We still have to be vigilant. Well, they never took the Trump signs down, right? On the Western slope. They kept them up. It was ridiculous. People have them. What's worse is they have uh, people running around town with trucks with full-size flags that say F-U-C-K Biden. Mm-hmm. There was a house with one of those flags up across from a middle school mm-hmm. here in Grand Junction that outraged a lot of people. Um, and the profanity is uh, another thing that people feel acceptable about, too. Uh, in, in my observation, uh, Craig, is that when you have a, a, a lot of religious people, you know, religious people, People believe myths. They're easy to convince about things that aren't really true, conspiracies and that kind of thing. And so it gets a lot of play out here. You know, we've talked about how this is a... Right, although you and I just talked about a Putin-Trump conspiracy. It's the more outrageous conspiracies that fall apart on closer inspection. Mm Mm-hmm. But, but yes, I, I keep going. I did not mean to interrupt because oh, that's what yeah. I'm trying to figure out is who is susceptible to this stuff. And you, you've latched on to a religious component. And, and you're an expert yeah. in the field having established this atheist organization. And, and I respect your right to feel that way. Please keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a, a Baptist uh, church pastor who had one of the most anti-immigrant Facebook pages I've ever seen, for example. Um, and we have a lot of people who believe the election is actually stolen and the teen is a hero. Um, people just seem to buy whatever they're selling. 
Now we have this Heidi Ganell furry panic. Have you heard about this? Yes, she may be my I, guest next week. Honest to God, she and I DM'd about it because when I heard her say it, because I monitored Denver Trump radio, and I sort of made fun of it, and she DM'd me that it's happening happening at Drake Middle School. And I know that name because Tom Tancredo used to be a teacher there. Oh. It's in oh. Jefferson County. And... Uh-huh. Uh, and now she wants to come on my podcast again. I've had her on. I thought she was normal when she had Camp Bow Wow, and maybe she still is. But why she put that election denier on her campaign and this furry stuff, I yeah, don't know. You know, she's, she's been through her traumas, too. And uh, I just think trauma can change you. Maybe that's the case. Changes you in ways we don't realize. Tina's had a lot of trauma, as you pointed out. And, uh, you know, and, and she had also this divorce to deal with, also in the wake of the death of her son. So, How yeah. do you avoid it? I bet you're in, well, you told me your dad died. Okay, I don't know if he kept the faith or what, but what is an atheist turned to? That's when I really value my Jewish traditions, even if we don't keep a full uh, shiva. Uh, it. it it's kind of a default way to go, and there are traditions and times for reflection. I mean, Judaism is pretty simple, but it was, it, it still was too much for you. Yeah, I can't say that I'm into traditions or, or that I fall back on anything like that. Uh, I think you just have a more solid sense of self when you're an atheist, that you just rely on yourself and you look forward and you carry on and you look... But what about when you can't care for yourself, when you're grieving a loss? Isn't that when those traditions sort of come to the rescue? Or am I romanticizing something? Or are you saying, hey, just get a grip? Uh, Maybe it's it's just me, but for example... Put on a YouTube about grieving. I, I I don't need a funeral to put the death of a parent behind me, for example. I don't like funerals. You know, I was with my mom when she died. I was holding her hand, and I saw her die. I felt her die, and uh, I would say, in a manner of speaking, she's still with me because I hear her voice. I hear her opinions in my head when I'm thinking about something as if I was, you know, talking to her. I would... Here, I know what she would say, and I have some of her effects here, some of her dishes, and and a, a little blanket she crocheted for me. And you know, I I still feel like she's in. She's she's kind of in me. I mean, she's part of me, and that's enough for me. My dad died from COVID in February. He oh, was ninety two, no. and I wasn't able to go and attend to him. He did not have a funeral, but. Again, I don't really need a funeral. Uh, you know, I, I I was a respiratory therapist as well, Craig. And in that job, I saw a lot of people die. And um, I just don't feel like I need a ritual or a ceremony or anything to say goodbye to that person. But what about uh, the people who do? I mean, most people aren't, aren't that's, like that's you. Fine. No, but but I'm just just to turn it back to Tina Peters, and you've been wonderful talking about this. It's fascinating, Ben. Just seems to me that when you suffer a catastrophic loss, a lot of people turn to their faith. 
and they turned to lawyers who might, you know, advertise for people of faith. And people are very vulnerable when they have been hurt. And maybe Tina Peters was especially vulnerable through just some tough luck situations like her her son dying out of nowhere. Horrible. Right. Right. Anyway, so I'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt too. And I, and I just go back to one thing about that nativity scene because I struggle with this. And my rabbi on Kol Nidre came out and he, he kind of named names and he said, given the Jew hating that's going on now, silence is a sin. We have to call it out. We have to call out bigotry like Donald Trump <laughs> tweeting about Coco Chow. I mean, could you right. believe that? A death threat against uh, Mitch McConnell and then blatant the bigotry against Elaine uh, Chow plus misogyny? I, yeah, I also agree that you have to push back against bullies or they'll just keep bullying and it'll just get worse and worse. Right, but we both, my rabbi and I, watched that, the U.S. and the Holocaust, and it was infuriating. I don't know if you watched it, but, oh my gosh, the history that we need to learn so we don't do it again and we're on that path and it's quite frightening but you stand up to it and yet um the jews back in the day said do we want to pick a fight and you brought up nativity scenes and i worked at the city and county building as a young prosecutor i had to walk by a nativity scene with the little baby jesus in it and uh, separation of church and state, and there was litigation, and I could have gotten really involved and made a big deal about it. But I, I just think you got to pick your battles, right? Right. Sometimes you have to do that, and sometimes you lose. We had a, a Ten Commandments tablet on City Hall property downtown. A group in town uh, sued. got with the ACLU and brought a lawsuit against the city over it. This was before I was involved in the issue. And the city found a way out of it. They discovered another town had gotten out of it by putting the Ten Commandments in a a more historical context by surrounding it with other monuments like the Bill of Rights and the Mayflower Compact and um, monuments like that. So they spent $64,000 on additional monuments to surround the Ten Commandments to put it in this historical context so they could claim it wasn't religious. And the guy who spearheaded that, they called him the Ten Commandments mayor. His name was Reford Theobald, and he had a tie with the Ten Commandments on it that he would wear to city council meetings. And he got lots of attaboys and pats on the back for getting the city out from under this lawsuit for doing that. And in 2015, uh, Reford Theobald was arrested for shoplifting big hunk candy bars from Cabela's store here at the Mesa Mall. So, you know, (laughs) again, yeah, thou shalt not steal is one of the Ten Commandments Mm -hmm. last I checked. So that shows you about how far he actually believed in the Ten Commandments. Well, here's the thing. We've chosen to pick the same battle now. I think that our politics might have been different in the past. And we could argue about some things, but I feel aligned with you in taking on MAGA and Trumpism. And don't you find that this is the time for people of goodwill to put past grievances aside? Because this, our democracy is teetering, and it's really 
those of us who love democracy against MAGA world. Yeah, I agree. And even, uh, you know, our county commission is very right wing now, but we are all on the same side of this issue, Craig. When it comes to this election denial stuff, we see how corrosive it is to democracy and we're opposed to the Tina Peters of the world. And, you know, I've always said that when I find myself on the same side of this issue with Janet Rowland, something is really going on. So, uh, yeah, I think that a lot of people on the right and left have come together over this issue. It's just um, we need more of them here on the Western Slope who see things squarely on this issue. Well, you have Adam Fresh over there. Does he have a chance? Against Lauren Boebert? He's neck and neck with her, according to this last poll. They're very oh, close. Gosh. I think it's within 2%. He's gained a lot of ground. But Boebert has had a poor showing in the debates. She's just right out of the gate at the Club 20 debate, started out by attacking the moderator as partisan. And she really came off as an attack dog and got booed by the audience over it. So she's been, in my opinion, tripping over herself ever since. Well, Adam was a great guest, as are you. I appreciated him coming on my podcast and you, Anne. I admire what you do. And the proof is in the pudding. Ten years of your blogging, even before Trump. But it's taken on some added urgency. I look forward to every issue because you break a lot of news and... uh, it was my honor and, and pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for doing the podcast. Well, thanks for inviting me, Craig. I enjoyed it. Take care. Stay strong and stay safe. All right? Will do. Can you I do say Shana Tova to you? Sure. Shana Tova to you, too. And Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Thanks, Craig. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Michael, of course, is a great sponsor of my show. But more than that, he's my lawyer my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if you're, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do, but like I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and, you know, meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep. And I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887. Or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you.
have some exciting news. I am starting my brand new law firm. It's attitude, mine. The legal skills, mine. The support staff, incredible. Find us online soon at CraigsColoradoLaw.com. Find me right now on Twitter at CraigsColorado. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Hey, that was quite a show. Ann Landman, thanks for doing what you do. Atheism isn't for me, but I respect your right to be whatever religion you want to be as long as you don't put it on me. Let me do my thing. Our troubadour Dave Gunders mentions that there were a whole bunch of Jews on our show today, and there were. It's kind of like state government. And yes, we talk about it. We notice it. Dave Gunders will be at the Lincoln Roadhouse Saturday night. I'm going to go to the show. Why don't you? Lincoln Roadhouse in Southeast Denver. Thanks especially to Phil Weiser, our Colorado Attorney General, for making time to be on the podcast. Tell a friend about our show. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe. Five stars is wonderful. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.